0: This is when we usually ask you for some donations, but I got something else for our listeners now. It's something I've been working on for the last few months, and I believe it will be very helpful for any artists out there. So what is it? Well, it's a video course. I've been photographing artwork for artists and galleries for almost a decade now, and I wanted to teach you what I've learned over the years, along with the wisdom of some artists that I admire. This course will focus on context photography, which is crucial for capturing your work for social media platforms. As you well know, it's not enough to just make good art anymore. You'll have to become great at presenting your work and sharing it on social media. I understand that a lot of platforms are pushing artists to create more video content now. So it's good to understand the basic fundamentals of photography first to create imagery that will really stand out. This video course will be available on September 6th, Labor Day. But you can check it out now at meimprojects.com. I'll be using the proceeds from this course to finance this podcast so you get double the rewards. You'll get to learn something new and feel good about supporting us. How cool is that? If there's anything you would love to learn that you would like to be included in the course, feel free to reach out to me and I might just add it just for you. So without further ado... I present you, Lorraine Lutz, who our host Marshall Jones and Dina Brodsky, had the pleasure of interviewing. Enjoy.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Art Grind podcast. I'm your host, Marshall Jones, here with co-host Dina Brodsky and miniaturist extraordinaire Lorraine Lutz. And actually, I think you may be the guest the furthest away from us we've ever interviewed. Is that right? No. I think That's so great. i think you get the 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 award for that so
2: yes, i win something yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so i know you're in south africa what what town in south africa
2: so i'm in cape town
1: um
2: okay. and we've just recently moved to the suburbs uh and so we're living in a place called newlands and uh yeah super happy
1: great H- how has it been with all the i mean of course i'd love to know a little bit about Lockdown and coronavirus in South Africa.
2: Um, it's been it's been interesting. I think our government's response was pretty um, prompt uh, initially, and we went into lockdown pretty soon or pretty early on. We you know we don't really have a great um, medical system, so we had to kind of they kind of had to get everyone on lockdown just so that they could prepare for what was coming. Um, So everyone was kind of uh, grateful about, you know, the government stepping up and saying, guys, like, let's take this seriously because our government uh, historically is not the most efficient, um, shall I say. Um, So, yeah, we, we did it. We went into lockdown. Everyone was in kind of high spirits. We had very low, uh, you know, what do you call it? Like rates of, of, of infection and, and illness or, Whatever at the beginning, first lockdown, Um, and then I think when we came back out of it, everyone was very relieved. Went way back into like um, normal life, and then the second wave hit us quite hard. Um, And then yeah, now we've we've kind of come out of the second wave, and we know the third is coming. But people are are, are, like everyone wears masks. You you won't see anyone not wearing a mask. um, Very rarely. Um, people kind of do follow the rules which is, is weird because we, we're we not really that kind of country but yeah it's been it's been very interesting to see kind of how other countries have responded and other governments and, and what's happened and it's yeah I mean it's I think it's been hard for everyone but
1: yeah how has it affected your your art
2: making uh, I think Initially, we're very lucky that my parents are quite um, involved in in our son's life. So um, we immediately decided that we were gonna go into lockdown with them um, because my husband started this really cool business uh, called Artist Admin. And it was really beginning to take off just as lockdown kind of uh, kicked in and he needed to work and I really needed to work. Um, So we we stayed with my parents and we literally had a schedule on the fridge And each person got like a three-hour shift um, with Felix. And (laughs) so I got like three hours of dedicated painting time a day. And I have never been as productive as I was.
1: Really? Oh, that's interesting.
2: Yeah. But what I also realized is at that, because I've realized that I struggle with anxiety, that I never actually knew that that was what that was I thought that was just the way that I am but I'm like a high functioning and anxious pers- person so I'm not um debilitated by it I go into like overdrive and just produce a- until I burn out so it's not exactly healthy but it was like my coping mechanism um and I'm happy for the work I get to show for it <laughs> but it was definitely a, a learning curve in like managing that that anxiety and balance and yeah it's been a it's been a roller coaster.
1: Well it's interesting to me because we talked to so many different people with different working habits and it feels like so one thing that is kind of common is it doesn't take all day every day to make good work if you have that dedicated like 3 hours that you know is going to be it that's worth a lot you know
2: absolutely
3: um, you know, I I, use, I I would get the same three hours too, um, but but mine would be like I just wake up a lot before my kids, which meant like four in the morning, and so my wow. my beginning of lockdown, my three hours were like four to seven, uh, um, and every wow. once in a while. Yeah, like we'd see my parents, so they would take them. You know, like like I say, I think it'd be like an additional nine hours a week total. Uh, but then I had to do all the stuff that made money. But then like it started yeah. getting light earlier and earlier, and so all of a sudden, like instead of you know kids wake up at just the break of dawn, so yeah. it went from four to seven to like four to six thirty to four to six to. Oh, you because know, now they
2: know they know you're awake. It's a problem. <laughs>
3: Yeah. So, like, second, second like a crack of of light that get, get get behind oh. layers of like of basically blackout curtains uh so, so the top, and a baby's like oh, you know like like, oh like uh, and that was when I was like like at when I was in grad school I'd paint like I don't know 12 like sometimes 18 hours a day and if anyone oh, did, I would be I know if anyone told me that I would be so grateful for, yeah, for three hours that, um, yeah. like I would have been like, that's nothing. You can barely set up your palette during that time. <laughs> totally.
2: But I've been thinking about that so much lately because, you know, motherhood is always a decision between one thing or the other, you know, and it's like, you don't have free time anymore any time that you have is either costing you money or it's costing you time with your kid or it's costing you both or whatever you know so you don't really have the luxury of like going into studio and then having like an hour long let me tidy up the space session and let me get centered and maybe check my instagram and whatever You, you you literally have to i i sometimes walk into the studio and i don't even look around i just like literally pick up my paintbrush and go in for like three hours and then come out and go home, you know, um, because you just don't have the luxury anymore. Um, but I think that's also something that I learned in my three sixty five projects: is that y- you can you can spend your life procrastinating, you know, but if you just literally put paint to paper, then you're you're going and you, yeah, you learn not to do that.
3: I would love to talk to you about those because I so, so part of I mean I found you through the first one of your projects like that I mean you must have made work before that like before you became an Instagram superstar and like Z mini <laughs> uh, but, but but how did paint, how did painting start for you? Um I, I I think I I liked drawing when I was a kid my
2: dad had these filing boxes. We we were three kids and he had a filing box for each of us. And we, whenever we did a drawing, he would like
3: put our name
2: and our and the date or, or our age or something on on the, the painting and then put it in the box. So I've got like a stack of stuff I did when I was a kid. Um, and then my mom took me to art classes when I was little um and then I did art in high school that I really loved. We did like oil painting and charcoal sketches and stuff like that. But I actually quit. I quit like two years in because the the workload was too much and I couldn't focus on my other subjects. (laughs) Um, And then I went on to study graphic design and in our university that you would spend the whole first year not touching a computer and you would do like sketching and painting and watercolour like touch on all of the mediums in a way. and then, yeah, that was kind of the basis of the education. And then they started taking you into the computer stuff. And as soon as the computer stuff started, I was like, oh, it's not for me. <laughs> this is really not my world. Um, so I kept, like, every project we did, I, I kept trying to, like, bring it back to, you know, if if we were designing a font, I would, like, do it by hand. If we were designing a poster, I would, like, make most of the elements by hand. And that was just not really what they wanted. Um, And that, I mean, I kind of, I enjoyed painting. It was never a a huge part of my life. Um, And I really missed it after university. Um, But it wasn't, it it definitely wasn't part of my daily life, you know. And then I uh, took a job as a social media manager. um, Or actually, I started out as a PA and then got put into the social media manager position. Um, And I just... Yeah, I I wasn't very happy, but it was a job and I thought this is what life is and and whatever. And at one stage, the company was going through a really rough time and they had to start retrenching people. And my boss sat me down and said like, okay, how do you feel about taking a voluntary retrenchment? And I was like, look, um, I realized that I was there for the money. You know, I realized that I was working to get my paycheck so that I could pay my bills so that I could do the things that I love. And I just thought like this, to it, 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 it can't be like this, you know, this sucks. Um, and then I decided to quit and I decided to just say yes to every opportunity that came my way. And a bunch of those were things that were like, oh, this, someone invited me to take part in a group show. And I decided to pick up my oil paints from like high school and make a few pieces. And then someone was saying, I'm, I'm customizing bicycles. Do you want to learn how to do like, um, what do you call it? Um, with the high pressure, the spray thing, when you like, what do you call that? When you're spraying on cars and stuff. Anyway, learned how to do that. And then someone asked me if I could paint miniatures to put inside of jewelry. And I started doing that. And I I had like 12 different jobs at the end of the day. Um, And then I did this business course for artists um, because I was really working super hard and not making any money and not knowing where what direction to take with my life you know and um, the course kind of encouraged us to pick one thing and then just focus on that one thing and make a business plan and really just invest in that one thing Um, and I thought well I I definitely don't want to be an artist because now I've learned all the business behind it and I really I don't I can't imagine spending all my time creating this work that I put my heart and soul into and then selling it and paying for like the electricity bills, you know, that like, that's such a depressing thought to me. So let me get a job that's just going to pay the bills and then I can do my art outside of that. Um, And I decided I was going to be a, I was going to work in film and do like production management and stuff, which is what I was doing at the time to make money. Um, And I, I still had to make a business plan. So I went up to my lecturers and I said, look, I've, I've decided I don't want to be an artist. And they said, oh, okay, well, that's fine. You, you came here for clarity um, and that's what you got, but you still have to do a pitch. It's like, oh, okay, fine. Um, and then I, I sat down and I thought, I, you know, I really like painting. and I don't want it to be out of my life completely. So while I'm doing my nine to five to pay the bills, let me just set aside an hour a day to finish something. Because if I'm not going to finish it, I'm not going to do it. It needs to be like a very strict deadline and boundary for me to be able to keep to it. Um, and then I, I came up with the idea for, for paintings for aunts. Um I've kind of forgotten what the question was. <laughs> uh, no,
3: sorry, I forgot what the question was too, but you're actually answering it. Like, okay, it, good. It, what made you, you, like how did, yeah. so, so, and that was your first 365 day project. And, yes. how, like, and and that was probably like I probably found your work about midway through that and I was like oh my god one more person doing miniatures <laughs> the, uh, I just, know I know when I saw your stuff I was just like oh yes I'm not alone <laughs> um, no there's all like there's maybe five of us out there right the, um, there's five of us and maybe like five more who are just doing Lorraine Luth kind of wannabe paintings <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a whole nother story.
3: And by the way, those things don't and be just because I've seen um I've seen that little one that you sent for the bird show in New York, and that did not take you one hour. That that took you a lot longer. Oh no,
2: no, no. No, longer.
3: I one hour thing kind of expanded to the I'm so glad you can see that, Dina. No,
2: so the first uh, first year I only had an hour. You know, I was still doing all my other 12 different jobs and and literally getting home at like two o'clock at night and then quickly having to paint something. So that was that. And then because the first year was so successful, um, the concept was that people could book dates um, and you could book your birthday and then you could suggest like, I love whales. Don't you want to paint a whale? And I'd paint a whale. Um, And and then it spread by word of mouth because people were kind of waiting to see what was painted on their days. And it, you know, went like that. And, And then I decided, well, the first year was booked out by about August or earlier. I can't even remember. Um, and then I thought, well, you know, I'm loving this. But why don't I just carry on for another year? Um, and then I literally just started quitting all the other jobs one by one as I was making more and more money with doing that. And I would literally say, like, okay, what do I need every month to survive? And, and I would take that amount of money and divide it by 30, and that's what my paintings cost. That's <laughs> ah. <laughs> I was just trying to make just try to make a living you know and it worked it was great um and that's that's how I went into the second year but then I had from eight to five eventually I had from eight to five to paint so I would just use all of the time that I had and then I would just add in more and more details because I could and it was this like really liberating thing going like I actually don't have to be waitressing right now I'm doing this so let me do this let me put all my time into it you know so I started putting more and more time in and Uh, Eventually, by the third year, it started taking me at least a day to three days per painting. And now, because I I can take as long as I want to, sometimes I'll spend like a month just touching on a piece every now and then. And It's kind of hard to quantify how much time in total, but um, definitely not an hour. (laughs) And
1: That thing comes up constantly on this show that people look to... To support themselves through painting just to buy themselves more time to paint. Like it's such a love people It's like you you want all this effort going in just to buy yourself more time to do it, really. How, Absolutely. how do you think your painting changes now that you have all this more time? Where how how does that
2: affect it? Well, like, it's been a it's been a journey. I think for the first um first two years, there was a lot of like media interest and stuff. So I spent a lot of my time that was not spent like rushing to try and finish the day's painting, just being in, in kind of interviews and following, like doing commissions that, that people were, I don't know, like commercial stuff and personal commissions and just saying, yes, I I was still in yes mode. You know, I was still saying yes to absolutely everything. And I, I was so burnt out by the end of, you know, after I'd done, 2014. It was 2013 was the first year. 2014 was the second year, and then 2015 I decided I wanted to take both of those collections and go and show them in New York, and basically posted on Instagram that I wanted a, needed a gallery and had someone contact me and found a gallery and and put on the show by myself in a foreign country, which was crazy. So like two years of maximum stress. Um, culminated in a in the most stressful but rewarding moment of my life. So I was incredibly burnt out, um, and then I just had to go like, "Cool, I'm just going to start saying no to things." Um, and I started operating for the first time in my life on like a gut level, you know. And things would come in, and I would immediately go like, "It's a yes or a no." It would I would know it immediately, and then I wouldn't like sit on the email. Cause what I would do is I would just sit on the email and it would sit in my inbox for like a year and I would just not deal with it, you know, which is terrible. And I'm ashamed, but um, I had to start operating on like a, a gut level and just go like, yes, this is for me or no, this is not. So now I get to more and more and more do exactly what I want to be doing and decide, like, I realized that I could spend my time doing the projects that were coming my way or I could spend my time doing the things that I want to do and and I would still be okay. You know what I mean? It was kind of like a choice. So um, I think I'm in a very privileged position to, to say that. Um, And yes, I I do still, my lover's eyes are basically commissions, you know, it's kind of like a structure that I've built of something that I love to do and want to be doing, but it kind of covers my, my overheads if it's going well, you know? Um, Yeah.
3: Uh, um, and at some point of all of this, you, I, I, I mean, when you're working eight, you know, eight, eight to five on paintings and I mean, it was the thing I loved about your paintings is that you could actually watch them get better over time. <laughs> uh, that Right. and Like to you, it must've felt totally or orga- get, okay, well, oh, so embarrassing. You know, each one is like a little better than the one after, but you must not have seen how much better they got. Whereas for me, I was someone who was just, Following along on Instagram, and I was like, "Oh my God, she's getting better so quickly!" Like, like oh, the ones from 2014 were so much better than you know than the first ones, and then the yeah. ones you are now are actually so much better than the ones from 2014. But at some point of that, you're painting eight to five. Um, you get married, you have a baby. How does that kind of affect things? Because and and by the way, I um, there's not that many artists we have on who are parents, and so this is my my thing. I'm always trying to figure out how people people are dealing with parenthood more gracefully than I am. (laughs) So,
2: I'm, I'm so happy that my my friends mostly don't have kids. Like the friends that I have, I have a bunch of friends from high school who do have kids. And then a a bunch of kind of my people in in Cape town and people I I see more often who don't have kids. And I'm always rambling on about like how hard it is and everything. So it's a pleasure to be able to talk to someone who, who knows like what that art motherhood balance is. Um, so what was the question again?
3: Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> figure out a way to, I mean, um, I, I'm not, oh. even sure, like, I'm not sure it is a balance, but it's, it's more like survival of both yourself as a parent and yourself as an artist, uh, m- more like, um, how, how do you survive parenthood? Uh, and if you're one of these people who just does it really kind of easily, you you can say that too. You can be like,
2: Oh, uh, I I wish I was one of those people. It's like, it's such a constant struggle in my mind. It's, it's, there is not a, I don't think there's an hour in a day that doesn't go by where I don't like question whether what, what I'm doing is good or right, or some version of mom guilt, guilt doesn't like creep into my brain. Um, I think it's, I, I honestly thought, um, you know, before becoming a parent, I was like, how, I mean, how hard can it be? You know, so many people have kids and it looks so fun and, you know, it'll be great and, and, and whatever, but it's like, it it really is one of, it is the, the hardest thing I've ever had to do by far. Um, trying to balance, you know, being a, an intentional present, um, emotionally aware parent and trying to balance that with like this thing that you love and that you want to spend your time doing Um, and to try and find balance every day. It's like, I don't, I don't think it's actually possible. I think we just do it the way we can. And then that's it.
3: Me me and Marshall were talking about this a while ago. I feel like the whole word balance is just bullshit. Like, uh, like, yeah, it is.
1: It's insane it's that people convince themselves that they found it when there's no, it's just, it's just something you've convinced yourself
2: of. <laughs> it's, yeah, It's I think it's something everyone's just constantly striving for, you know, and there is no such thing. There is just what what it is right now, and, you know, whatever that looks like.
3: Well, I I... I kind of go back to this, um, you know, it was something someone said to me when, when I was pregnant and I was in St. Petersburg visiting my, you know, I guess, future, future in-laws. And it was the first time I met them. And we went out for dinner with some older friends of, you know, my, my, I guess now, now ex-husband, uh, but I was maybe five months pregnant and I was kind of much like you. It's was like, how hard can it be? It's going to be, it's going to be fun. We're going to have this. <laughs> um, and so this is the two men, my husband is to talking business. And I was kind of left talking to the woman who was, you know, maybe 15 years older than me. Her kids were teenagers. And she'd basically been a housewife her entire, you know, like, like you know, for a very, very long time. And she, and, and our worlds overlapped very little, but you know, what can I talk to her about? You know, it's uh, like parenting, like, like I, I, I want to know about parenting, right? But something she said to me has really stuck with me. And she said that the number of days, like when you're in a family of four people and the number of days that everyone is just, okay, no one's in a bad mood. No one's sick. I don't know. The sun is shining. No one's like, I don't know. No one's failing anything. No one's job is job is about to collapse. No one's mad at anyone else. So those days or those moments are so few. And every time you get one, you just, you just grab onto that memory, right? Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. I... Back then, I was like, "Oh, you, you, you poor thing! Like your life sounds so, you know, it's so it's, hard." It's so hard. And and now I'm like, "Oh God, I, you know, like it's, so it's hard." Me. <laughs> 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 except then, except that I think being a housewife, like like being with your kids and doing all of that stuff all day long, is actually harder than like working and taking you know and taking care of kids.
2: Yeah, I I I don't. Um... I can't, I can't really imagine doing that. I couldn't imagine being, and I, I have, I'm not saying like it's a bad thing. I have the most respect for mothers. It's, you know, the hardest job. Um. But I think I would, it would be different because I wouldn't constantly be pulled in a different direction, which I think would make it easier in many ways, but just the like relentlessness of like you don't have there's like there's not a nine to five it doesn't end there's no like break it's just this constant thing um I think also at being an introvert something I didn't ever consider before becoming a parent is that like you don't have the choice to go and be an introvert somewhere you know you're gonna you have to be you know even even when I'm done with work I don't get to go and like be alone for an hour because then I've got like just a few hours to be with my kid before he goes to bed, you know, and he's a total extrovert, so he, I have to be guided by him <laughs> and it's a, it's a difficult balance it's crazy. It's crazy that's uh,
1: you know I don't have kids and I, it, I personally haven't felt a desire to have kids and I mm-hmm. really value just long days in the studio you know painting. Drinking beer, just sort of that light. Oh,
3: oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that—that that is one. Marshall, what else do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's—it
1: sounds so selfish of me to not want anything to impinge on that. You know, like, do, do you feel? Do you do you miss like the, just that freedom? Is that is or is the trade-off?
2: Oh, cool. Of course. Of course I do. I mean, I I love my son and he's, he's absolutely magical, but um, yeah, I I, I envy people who have like expansive hours in front of them. But then again, that was my choice and that was their choice. And that's what they get. That's what they, they have, you know. Um, The one thing I can say is that I remember, I think it was like maybe three months into, into Felix being around and my, my parents said they would watch him and we could go watch a movie and we went to the movies and there were like three trailers before the movie and, and we watched the trailers in complete silence. And when the trailers were done, we were like, wow, that was, that was amazing. I'm <laughs> like, I'm ready to go home now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we were so starved of freedom that, like, that those like 15 minutes of freedom were like the world to us. So in a way... I don't think I ever knew freedom before having kids. Mm. So now I just, I, if I get to go away for a weekend without, you know, obviously with them super fun, different thing. But if, if I get to go away alone for a weekend or away with my husband for a weekend, it's like, I would have never been able to enjoy that time as much as I do now, because I know what it is. And I know what goes into that, those, you know, those free hours.
3: Anyone? Yeah,
1: and I think in like all seriousness, you know, I was kidding about just drinking beer, and painting, but there is—I <laughs> think if you don't have kids, there's always a nagging thought that like you're missing out on this sort of available love that people say that you have when you have a kid, and it, it changes the whole way you look at things, and and I'm sure it even influences your artwork in a positive way. It's like I, you, you, the other side is always wondering you're missing out on
2: something you know. I think you're always missing out on something though you just have to choose what that's going to be.
3: Yeah yeah, I think Marshall's the difference is that me and Lorraine know what we're missing out on and (laughs) (laughs) we remember it as being sweet. Uh, We love our kids but we you know (laughs) <laughs> remember free so, so you don't know uh what you're missing out on it could be something you could be missing out on something great or something quite horrible actually whereas yeah. we know, you know we know what we're missing and we've just decided to be okay with it. you know for the <laughs> next 20 years <laughs> yeah um, yeah and I think I, I was actually thinking about this recently, um, like right after my, my kids left for New York, I think two two days ago. And um, for the first 10 minutes, I'm just shell-shocked when, when they go. Like I stand around and being like, what What? no one- takes. What do I do? Like, yeah, yeah, what do I do? And then I clean for like the next three hours. Uh, <laughs> <because I clean. laughs> right? You're a better
2: person than me.
3: <laughs> so I, I, I don't clean that much when they're around. Um, I just clean mm-hmm. and enjoy. Nothing is getting like, entropy isn't getting created as I clean it up. Um, And then all of a sudden, because this time they've been their, their dad, you know, like usually he takes them more regularly, but this time it's been like, it's been like almost four months. Right. And I almost found myself with this kind of Stockholm syndrome where I was like, oh, but I actually got, I like, do do I even want 10 days of freedom? I I really miss them. What do I do? And then, um, yeah. And then the next morning I woke up and I was like, yes, (laughs) You know, know, but but I was thinking about this and I was like, okay, my life could have just been like this all the time. If I made some different choices, I would have been able to, whatever, sleep eight hours, you know, eight hours a night and work uninterrupted. But then I think knowing myself, and I'm very Russian and Russians are programmed to breed at some point and knowing (laughs) myself and knowing the culture I come from, I would have probably right now been in a total... Biological panic, panic, not knowing whether I should be doing this or not doing this, or you know, whether whether it's going to be too late for me, whether exactly. my life even has any meaning. So I, I, on one hand, I totally understand why you know kids aren't the only way to have a meaningful life, and I totally They're understand not. why people would choose not not to have any that no. uh, kind of. I live like Marshall right now, but also thinking of myself living the life I have right now, I think I probably, you know, like right now is this week where I can just do whatever I want for a week. Um, I think I would probably actually be panicky and not nearly as appreciative of, a, uh, you're right. I wouldn't have appreciated the freedom. Whereas right now, like every kind of hour I get to just do what I want without feeling like I'm on the clock. Yeah. Yeah. Oh
2: <laughs> it's golden. It's incredible. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Even like the conversation and just being able to meet someone and not usually I'm like waiting for the baby to wake up or something, or, you know, like the, like, like usually the part of my head that's kind of with them. And right now it's not right now. It's like with you and Marshall and it feels kind of amazing. (laughs) I know. And it's, it's crazy. The, the process is like, I, last
2: year I decided that I wanted to go to Bali alone for 11 days. Mm. And my husband was like, great, that sounds amazing. <laughs> you know? And I literally had to process it in therapy in multiple sessions of going like, I don't know if I can do this, like the guilt and, you know, my son and needs me and he's so little and he's little for so, such a short amount of time. And, I, you know, it was just such a mental process for me to get myself to the point where I was okay with doing that. And I really needed to do it. And it was amazing. Um, but it's just so interesting how, how, you know, the Stockholm syndrome thing.
3: (laughs) Okay. Great. Tell me about going, this is a little bit unrelated to miniatures, but tell me about going to Bali by yourself after presumably years of not really having that kind of freedom. What was that like? Um, it's interesting because I mean I just at the end of that whole trip, I I I basically
2: walked away with the the idea that everything that I wanted and everything that I needed, I I am able to access in my normal life. Everything that I'd gone to Bali for, everything that I wanted, I, I have the ability to have in my normal life if I just plan accordingly. And you know, I wanted to do yoga and I wanted to meditate and I wanted to go for nice massages and see beautiful things, you know, and I can have all of those things right here if I'm systematic about it, you know? Um, and I think that was a pretty, pretty big realization. And also just that thing of like, wherever you go, there you are, you know, you you try and get away from whatever's stressing you out and freaking you out. And you go to this faraway land and you're just there with all your same old neuroses and anxieties and all the things are right there with you, you know? So. It was, it was a, it was a, <laughs> this is a spiritual re- uh, moment for me, I guess.
3: You know, I, I'm actually, I'm in that camp of people who think you actually can run away from, you can't run away from all of your problems. Like you take some of your problems with me, with you, wherever you go, but there's some problems you actually don't take with you. And I feel like kind of burnout is something that you you can just leave behind. So whenever I travel, which, but by now it's been it's been years, right? Mm-hmm. But whenever I travel, I almost become a different person the second I walk through the airport gates. Like, like yeah. I just, you know, like- mm-hmm. True. Like like there's a lot of things that I just leave wherever I am. And I come back and there they are. And sometimes they're more manageable because I had a break and sometimes they're not. But when I'm in a different country, I feel like and and maybe that actually means I'm not that anxious of a person, actually. Like I'm like like I'm very non I don't know, like I'm not unimaginative. And I feel like a lot of anxiety is actually from having an imagination. Um, Interesting. I've never thought about it that way. Because then you imagine, um, then you it, because you you can imagine all of these things that could go wrong with your life, and that's what causes anxiety. And I'm just so like, I, I I don't know, like like I'm I'm unimaginative. Like I like like for me the world like the world is so external. And my sister, who's also I mean she's another painter of very tiny things, and she's a wonderful painter, but she's so high on the anxiety scale, and she's constantly right. you know kind of eating herself up up about something or other. And I think it's just her paintings are very internal. Like what goes on in her mind is Like, I think she just has a better imagination. So she's got more anxiety in her life and you, you might be the same then. I think,
2: I mean, I wish I was anxious because of imagination. I just don't think that's the case. (laughs) I think I, I went for, um, you know, because I, I, I had adrenal fatigue, um, I mean, for the past few years, really just kind of looming. So I went for like a full hormone paneling and basically I have this thing where my cortisol doesn't ever really leave my my body the way it should. So my, like where, I don't know how the, the normal thing, but let's say your cortisol is supposed to start out low in the morning and then gradually go up. And then in the afternoon, it starts dipping again so that you're ready to sleep. And then you sleep through the night. So mine just kind of like hovers around the high point all the time and then kind of goes up at night. So if I don't get to bed at a certain time, then I can't sleep. And if I wake up at any point during the night, I can't get back to sleep because my cortisol is already like super high. So I think it's just that. I think it's just that, you know, that situation.
1: It is so weird how much stuff is just brain chemistry. Totally. And even like hard drugs and stuff are just amplifying, opening up receptors for stuff that naturally exists in your brain. It's so weird.
2: It's crazy. So yeah, it's so, it's so complex, but I'm just learning these things now and learning how to manage them. But that would explain why I would still be as stressed out as I was back home anywhere I go, you know, just because it's chem, it's a chemistry thing.
1: You can't, you can't fly away from cortisol. It just stays.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You can definitely try, but I do, I do also get into that mode that you you were mentioning Dina of like just being like, love traveling alone, feel like a completely different person, and, like, not having to consider anyone else's, like, what they need right now, what they want to eat, where they want to go, is just so liberating, so I love it, I'll definitely do it again, um, yeah.
3: Okay, no, I've always loved traveling alone, like, talk to people who couldn't do it, you know, who, like, hanging in to travel with. And I was Nezek, like, are you kidding me? It's waking up in a foreign city where you don't know anybody. And you're right, you don't have to accommodate anybody. And you can just, I mean, in my case, just wander and draw all day. It's like the best thing ever. It's I heaven. mean it's heaven.
1: <laughs> this may sound like the most anti-social thing I've, that could be said. But when I, I had a um like a semester in Paris on this grant and I didn't I didn't love Paris. I didn't fall in love with it or anything but I felt so relaxed there. And I was like, why is that? And I realized it's because I don't speak a lick of French and just not being able to communicate was so relaxing to me. I loved it. I was like, I can't talk to you. You can't talk to me. I'm at a cafe. I can't hear what
2: they're saying.
1: I just loved it. And then I was like, what does that say
2: about
1: it uh, It wants to check out
2: that bad? Oh, I don't feel bad. I literally walk around with my noise-canceling headphones on for that reason. Like, yeah. I get, if I get into an Uber, I'll, like, put my noise-canceling headphones on because I just don't want to talk to anyone. Oh, man, what is that <laughs> so about? Bad. I guess that's
1: why we like studio time, right?
2: Like, <laughs> totally. I spent the whole day today from 9 o'clock until 5 o'clock sitting on the floor and painting, and, and filming myself. So my only thing that I had to do was every 10 minutes, my alarm, my alarm clock would go off and I'd have to go push the button again. And then I'd pan and then push the button again. It was like this little rhythm and I, I've never been happier. <laughs> so
1: good. Uh, as the, well, that's a good, that's a good topic. Someone like me, uh, Dita was trying to show me how to do like videos on Instagram and I can't do them and I, I hate it. Is that, does that nag at you having to make The content, all of a sudden, does it feel invasive in your time?
2: It has been the biggest nightmare of my life for the past, (laughs) like, three years. Because I realized three years ago that, in like, it was, we were moving away from still images, right? Everyone wants video. Everyone wants process. Everyone wants that stuff. But, like, creating art you know, you're in such a zone and you're, you're focusing on this thing that you're doing and, and that's a skill. And then capturing a moment is a different skill, you know? And being expected to do both of those things at the same time, especially like for my work, I'm I'm pretty much right above my painting. So if the camera was to be at the right point, it would be right where my head is, you know? So it's super right. intrusive. It's, it's uh, disruptive and being who I am, I immediately start thinking about what the camera sees and then wanting to show the process rather than just doing the process. So it's like a different thing. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a nightmare. But I've been – I bought myself a really good camera and then I got a really good tripod and I've been, like, gearing up slowly but surely and getting a laptop that can accommodate video editing and then getting, like, storage for that and whatever. And eventually my husband, uh, the one day he just said – why don't you just get an assistant? Like just get someone who like wants to learn and is, is keen to hang out with you in your studio and get them to come in and kind of like do stuff. And I found this amazing um, person and she started working for me like three weeks ago. And even just having someone else go like, okay, cool. What are we doing today? How are we going to do it? Where should we put the camera? And then setting it up for me and going like, cool, just push the button. And then she like leaves, you know, was, a uh, a game changer for me. Um, so I think I'm finally getting my act together. Marshall, if you need any tips, <laughs>
1: give me <laughs> I a mean, call. <laughs> so many. I'm so bad at it. And it's,
3: Marshall, it's, Marshall, it's, Marshall, you're so bad at it because you actually you don't listen. Sorry, I, I've been helping Michelle with this, okay. whatever. Stuff and you're so bad at it because you don't like. I keep being like, Marshall, send me you know, three videos, three five second videos in vertical format. And he sends me like one five minute video (laughs) in horizontal format. And I'm like, which part of vertical do you you need me to Google it for you? Like, it's me, it's me. Well, you guys
1: should see me. You you remember Mary Poppins, like Dick Van Dyke, that one man instrument. Do you remember that? What he like had the drums and the harmonica and he was singing. Oh,
2: yeah.
1: I feel like that's how I have to paint with one of these cameras and my technology is old and it's all like juggling. Okay,
3: Marshall, but you really don't. Um, so after we, you know, stop recording, I don't want to do it right in the podcast. I can tell you exactly what to do so it doesn't disturb your studio time and you only have to push that record button like three times in the course of a painting and it doesn't like, it doesn't basically ruin your concentration every, you know, like, like every few minutes. And it's not that hard. And it's exactly what the algorithm wants right now. Um, You know, I
2: I feel like that's the kind of content people are here to,
3: (laughs) to be here. I I don't know. I feel like, I feel like all anyone um, ever wants me to talk about is, is Instagram these, these, these days. Anyway, And I'm like, oh God, I used to, you know, I also paint. I, you know, the, I could yeah. tell you a lot about miniature painting, but no one seems to, so no one wants to take, like, like I used to offer miniature painting classes and they would make me barely fill up. Like, I mean, back when things were in person or no one would be interested at all and these, uh, Instagram classes, which, you know, I like teaching them and I like meeting other artists, but they fill up in like a heartbeat. Um, really? and I think I'm, no one wants to like learn how to paint like me. I think that's, you know, uh, or maybe I'm just a boring teacher or so something. Um, I doubt
2: that. I highly doubt that.
3: Is that so, so by the way, so Lorraine, what are you working on right now? Uh, I'm I'm working
2: on three different, um, so I've, I'm doing the lover's eyes that that's something that I want to be doing for as long as I can. It's basically a 20 year project if I'm doing one every week. Um, so for as long as people are interested in that, um, I'm, I'm very, very, um, it's like, it feels like a gift or like an honor for me to do these things for people. It feels different to a commission because it's so personal. I, I can't really explain it, but like people send me their stories. Um, but how do you know, tw- how do you know it's a 20-year project? Because I want to do one every week and it's a thousand paintings. A thousand paintings. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's limited to a thousand. So we don't, I don't know if a thousand will sell, but once I've done a thousand, I'll be done um, because I oh. wanted them to be limited, limited editions. So Yeah, so like today I got sent a story uh, and I was just crying in my studio. It's just like really heavy, heartbreaking stories. Um, And then, you know, juxtaposed with these beautiful, joyful love stories, you know, um, of someone who wants their husband's eye or they want their baby's eye or they want their, their father who passed away and whatever. So that feels like a real gift to me. So that's something that's kind of always happening in the background. And then I've got um, the America for Ants, um, which is kind of the working title for the, the road trip project. Oh, that I'm kind of now starting to think about. And I'd love to do a show in New York and I'd love to do a show in LA um, for those, that show. Um, and then I'm working on um, I, I'm, I'm going to call it the, um, the marble project for now um, because that's all it is right now. It might grow into something different, but I've just become obsessed with marbles <laughs> and I'm just, I've got like masses of them in my studio and my assistant and I, you know, rented a macro lens and photographed them like really like up close. And yeah, I've just been playing around with that and, and, and working on a collection that will be its own exhibition as well. So that's, oh, and then there's another thing I'm working on. It's kind of like a color project um but that's not that's in too much in its infancy to say anything about really it's just the it's just the exploration for now wow so much going on
1: what's the
2: art world
1: like in south africa
2: um that's such a good question um i feel like i should call my husband then (laughs) he's like no um (laughs) Well, there's, I mean, there's obviously, I, I think it's, it's similar to, to America, you know, there's the, um, the big ticket artists who are signed to galleries, who do the shows and, you know, the photographers and, and all those people. And then there's a a whole lot of people just kind of doing their own thing on the ground. And obviously Instagram has opened a whole, uh, new avenue, um, for, for for people like me who are not signed to galleries or, you know, want to be independent or whatever. So um, it's very interesting. There's a lot of um, great stuff coming out. Um, but it's kind of hard to say because, you know, everything's been shut down for so long. I, I feel really out of touch with all I know is what I'm seeing online. You know, we, we used to have this thing called, actually it's starting up again this month. Um, it's called First Thursdays. Uh, In Cape Town, and they kind of—it's like all the galleries stay open late, and everyone has drinks and snacks and stuff. So so basically, masses of people just take to the streets and go from gallery to gallery, having drinks, and it's like a street festival, but like a gallery open mass gallery opening. Um, So you know, you would get a really kind of nice sense of what's happening if you were to attend one of those. Um, And but I haven't been to one in like two years, so kind of hard to say
1: what what drew you to deciding to do miniatures in the first place like what was the impetus behind that
2: well the one of the many jobs I had when I was freelancing and kind of figuring out what I wanted to do was um, to paint these tiny paintings for the jeweler that wanted to set them in pendants and I remember like having them around because I'd always kind of be working on them and then people would look at them and I remember my old boss looking at this little painting of a fox or something and he was like that's very cool but like what what are you going to do with that like who's going to put that in their house no one's going to hang that on their wall kind of thing you know um and I, I heard that kind of notion so many times and, and that's kind of that's why I eventually went like well you, you don't have to understand because it's their paintings for ants you know um <laughs> 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 you don't have to understand you're not an ant you <laughs> And then I think because it, it was such a strange kind of like misunderstood thing uh, when I was asked to, to come up with this business pitch and they said, choose one thing that stuck out to me because it felt like um, the one thing that I was doing that was felt a little bit different um, to anything else that I'd seen and I could finish it in an hour. So it was literally like, what can I finish in an hour? A miniature painting. Okay. That's what it's going to be. How big? How big? How much can I do in an hour? Okay, it's going to be that big. So that's how I decided on the size and, and all of that stuff. And, and it's so funny because I've always been that person who, like, finds all the spelling mistakes in the menu. And proofreading was one of my jobs um, when I had the many jobs. Um, so I've always had a, a big attention to detail and, like, an obsession with detail. Um, and I never, really, I never really realized it until I actually actively started painting the miniatures. Mm. So yeah, that's how that happened.
1: So so, how long does it take you to do like one of the eyes?
2: The eyes, uh, it, they depend. Sometimes if it's like someone's dad who passed away um, and they give me a bunch of photos that are like from really far away or very grainy or whatever, then it'll take a bit more time to try and figure out what that eye looked like because I don't know, there's no reference. If I have a really good reference, it doesn't take as long maybe a day, you know, sometimes three,
3: Um, yeah. So we must have overlapped in our, you know, I I also used to work like 12 different jobs and one of them was actually painting, you know, like painting miniatures for lockets. uh,
2: Oh
3: really? I didn't know that, that's so cool. For, I mean, for this woman who was a buyer for Ralph Lauren and she buy up these Victorian law, it was such a cool gig because I was like, like I hadn't been out of grad school all that long. So I just had the studio assistant job that I was sharing with Marshall and I was teaching and that was the place where I got to actually, you know, paint. And thing, me. yeah, yeah. the first year it was fantastic because no one cared about it except for maybe this buyer, like she would, so she would get these antique lockets, take the actually really beautiful paintings, which I always felt kind of bad about out of them and kind of have me do whatever I wanted. And no one was really like, because no one cared. I was like, I want to do a bird or I want to do a specific flower. And then at some point, I guess I didn't know this, but Ralph Lauren is a real person. And at some point he was walking through the store and he saw them and he, um, apparently disapproved of like a bunch of, they're like, like he, he, um, he he apparently really doesn't like snakes or amphibians. And that's a lot of what I was, what I was painting. So after that, they must've had some sort of meeting and <laughs> like, okay, well, you can't do Ralph Lauren approved thing like dog and horses, but you can't do Ralph Lauren unapproved things like amphibians. Wow. You know, and I ended up, God, I ended up doing a whole bunch of paintings of his dog. He had this little, one of those fluffy, you know, like, 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 basically like poor purse dogs, uh, with yeah. some name, like Blinky or Twinkie or, y- y- you know, like this, um, <laughs> <I> kind. <know laughs> uh, yes, yes. And, and once every few months I would, I would paint Ralph Lauren's dog and that would apparently sell very quickly because everyone wanted to make him happy and, or they were all terrified of him. <laughs> Um, but that was actually a fun gig. I, I had another jewelry painting um gig later where it was supposed to be doing antique rest, like enamel restoration in some place on you know, Marshall, where like it's not the is it just a jewelry district in New York, like 49th, Street. 40, yeah, uh huh, yeah. So it was a place that did antique restoration and they were all Russian and like I'm Russian, so I guess you know, like, like the language wasn't a problem, but they um. They were pretending, like like I think their enamelist died, uh, or left, or but possibly died. Enamel toxic. Like- yes, because enamel is toxic, and they didn't teach me oh how to do God. enamel. They just told me to use gouache, and in order to make it look like an enamel, enamel, they would um, use the stuff that they would call, refer to as clear, clear. And I kept asking what clear was because, and everyone was wearing, you know, like like you know, like like the whole room smelled of this clear stuff and these women were there without masks and no ventilation and my last day there uh it turned out the clear i i just watched them get it out uh, and because it would make it all shiny and enamel looking yeah. and it turned out it was just um epoxy uh epoxy resin which is really 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 toxic and then i was like no um, one died <laughs> like that so uh yeah um that's awful oh my gosh oh, oh god i haven't thought of that and he, it, was, it was a Kind of like an odd summer that I spent with this oh. clear stuff, probably breathing epoxy. That's <laughs> uh, so
2: crazy. Um, I mean, I, 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 I always get people telling me that the the paint is toxic because I, I mix my colors on
3: my nails. Yeah, no, you're using watercolor or gouache? It's uh, watercolor. Yeah. <laughs> no,
1: you're
3: it's not, right? Uh, you could probably like eat that stuff and, and, and be fine even, even oh.
1: a lot of oil paint is just mud and linseed oil you know it's not it's only when you yeah. get into things that are like have a lot of chemicals or heavy metals in them that that are
2: bad i think there's one there's one that's definitely i think it's a red isn't it cadmium or something
1: Cadmium's a metal yeah that could be yeah i mean it's I might not absorbing really talking- <sighs> I don't, I, th- I don't think it's going to really absorb in your skin, but if you have, like, a cut or something and it's getting… Look,
2: I feel, I feel good, but other than the cortisol <laughs> issue, I feel great. <laughs> 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 Some weird side effect of too much cadmium exposure through my nails. <laughs>
3: I had a teacher in undergrad that had cadmium poisoning and um, it's because he used to suck the tips of his brushes to kind of make them more pointy. Yeah.
2: I know that trick. Yeah.
3: Don't yeah do that. Maybe to... don't do that. ever. Or do that if you're using watercolor. Don't do, do it if you're using cadmium cadmium paint. Uh, Is that uh, oil that he was doing that with? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was oil <sighs> you know, and using toxic paint. Um, so uh, as long as you're not doing that, you should be fine. So. <laughs> should be okay. Okay, good. Wait, uh, just out of curiosity, um, you said your husband has a business called Artist Admin. That sounds like something I would need. Uh, to, can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Oh, okay. So um, basically what happened was um, when I was pregnant, um, just before having Felix, Mark was really unhappy in his job and and just, you know, wasn't, didn't feel like he was doing what he needed to be doing. And I kind of encouraged him to quit and go study whatever he needed to study and, and, and do whatever he wanted to do. And he studied business and administration. And then, is that what he did? Yes. And then um, he had obviously been kind of following my journey. And, and pretty much from day one, I realized that admin was going to be a massive problem for me. Um, you know, having 365 different buyers, who all needed to be emailed to ask what date they want, what painting they want, what their address is, how they're going to pay, invoice them, follow up on the invoicing, get everything framed, plan the exhibition, like all of those things. And it just snowballed from there. It's never, you know, gotten less. Um, So once he'd finished studying and Felix was born and everything, he, he saw that I was really not coping with everything. And he said, look, why don't I just, Um, help you out with your admin for a while. And so for two years, he he did all of my business and admin and put on my exhibitions. We would travel to Singapore and do a show there and travel to Hong Kong and do a show there and and do everything together, which was super hard, but also really rewarding. But he basically realised that all of the things he was doing for me are things that most artists need. And Mm -hmm. like once he had established the relationship of FedEx and DHL. And once he'd like figured out the kind of website situation and once he'd kind of figured all of those things out, it was a model that could be applied to, to more artists. Um, And so he actually started the business with my best friend, whose husband is also an artist. Um, And they basically just do everything that artists don't want to. So they will build a, a website for you, They'll update the content, they'll create the products, they'll do integration with like currencies from all over the world. They'll build in your shipping calculator so that you can like have shipping calculated for anyone in the world. And then they'll even take the artwork from you, scan it, get you to come sign the prints, they'll have it framed, they'll package it securely, they'll ship it, they'll follow up with clients. They'll like manage all of that stuff for you so that I literally get to go to my studio, do a painting, drop it off at their offices and they like take it from there so it's really beautiful it's a dream
3: (laughs) it's it's kind of a dream like if i was (laughs) right now i would hire your husband on on the spot
2: well he could probably uh, help you with anything you needed help with from here
3: so I'm simultaneously bad at dealing with admin and also really bad at outsourcing anything <laughs> like that. The, uh, but, but I, I might actually write you later because um, You're it, very at, this welcome. Point, at this point I walk around with a constant feeling of guilt over, you know, an email yeah. not responding to a client that I meant to follow up with and, you know, uh, basically admin guilt.
2: Yeah, it's the worst. It's, I, I have like, I, I mean, it's, I have so many, the things that I am still responsible for are a nightmare. So like my personal inbox and then my DMs and like my WhatsApp messages are a nightmare. It's shocking. I have like constant anxiety about it. I just can't, I can't keep up. So So, that's the only thing I'm still responsible for. (laughs)
1: Lorraine, you were, you were talking at the very beginning about all these side jobs you had and and thinking that you wanted to keep painting sort of as a hobby because you saw that keeping the lights on through painting um seemed difficult i'm not putting words in your mouth I'm not trying to but however you worded that earlier and now it seems like you are fully paying the electricity bill through your painting is 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 that are, are you happy with that is that working out well for you and that
2: <laughs> um i mean I I literally couldn't be happier. That's great. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been, I've, I really am, every day I, I'm blown away by the amount of support that I've had and that I still, that I continue to have, even when I have periods of huge self-doubt and kind of imposter syndrome and all the various incarnations of, um, you know, stuff that we go through um people have supported me and supported my work and my shows and you know online and everything and I I mean yeah we just we moved we just moved into a new house we would have never been able to afford it if it wasn't for my work um it's and I I, I don't want to say that to be braggy I I want people listening to to know that it's possible you know because I didn't think it was and and it's an absolute joy I don't feel like I'm um paying for, for electricity with blood money. You know, I feel like it's, it's an absolute privilege to be able to live like this.
1: Yeah. Just cause, just cause I can anticipate listeners being like, well, why didn't you ask her this? Like, how, how do you think listeners could do that, could do what you did? Cause it seems by any metrics, sort of, uh, something to aspire to. Like, is it character traits? Is it, stick to Is it talent? Is it business acumen? Like, what do you think allowed you to, to pull it all together?
2: I, I ask myself that question all the time, and I think it is, it, it is a combination of things. I think I was really lucky to jump onto Instagram at the right time when the algorithm was not a thing, and it was still chronological, and people could see all the posts coming up the way in the, you know, the order that they came. I think that was a very big thing. Um, I think the fact that I had something that was a story that people could tell and and was, had strong word of mouth, the the word spread quickly. Um, A blog like Colossal picked up on it and posted. I got a whole bunch of followers. Um, I think the the grit to like stick to it was a big one. Um, it was not easy. I I had to paint on days where I had food poisoning. You know, I, I I did it and and stuck through it. And then I think just having immense support from people was incredible. Um I think for me, one of the biggest personal um shifts that I had to make was that I had to share work that I wasn't happy with. Um And that's not something I would have ever done. I I spent my whole life surrounded by unfinished paintings. You know, nothing was ever finished. Um, And then I I created this very strict um, kind of system for myself that went against everything that I thought art was and what I was taught that like art is free and like you should be able to do whatever you want and like open brief and all that stuff. I went like, cool. One miniature painting one hour every day has to be posted on instagram has to be you know the comment has to look like this, it was like a little recipe, and I had to kind of stick to it and that was incredibly liberating for me in many ways because I had to post that piece, even if it made me sick to the stomach of like how unhappy I was with how unfinished it was or whatever. I had to post it and the oh. funny thing is those like shitty paintings sometimes were were people's favorites, you know like. I could never have anticipated the, how they would be received. So that was the other thing was just actually showing my work and putting it out there repeatedly, consistently. I think consistency is huge. Um, and then also, I think there's a huge focus for everyone on Instagram on like growing your following and having the likes and doing the, you know, all the things. and. I struggle with it too, because it's my livelihood. You know, I have to, I need to have people buying my work. That's, it's what I do, you know? So you get stuck in the numbers sometimes, but you have to make this constant uh, um, conscious um, division between like, what am I spending my time on? Am I worrying about numbers or am I actually creating the work, you know, because the amount of time that you're spending, like trying to create a beautiful post to gain all of these followers, you could be creating an amazing piece that, you know what i mean like mm-hmm. focusing on where you're actually spending your energy and being very very clear about um about that i hope that answers the question
1: yeah it does no i feel like there's a theme in the way you talk about stuff that is that embraces the complexity of things you know like what even the way we were just talking about the comments and that sort of thing you had a complex view on it and then how to make something actually work? Besides, how uh, you know the idea of whatever that is—a romanticization of how a thing will work—it seems like you, you really pull the complexities together and make them work for you. And I think that. Thank you. <laughs>
2: I'm glad you see it that
1: way. It feels very complex from where I sit. Well, even the motherhood thing, like you were saying, like, you know, I can have all these things if I budget it. I don't need to be in Bali on a beach to meditate. It's just like someone who knows what life is, what the realities demand, the things you want, and you can like find uh, little pockets in all that complexity. Complexity shuts me down.
2: I'll just be like, uh, yeah. If it gets too but that's complicated, life. That's I life. Yeah, I mean, everything is, especially these days. Like, unless you're living in a cabin on the mountains, life is very complicated.
1: Yes, yeah. I think, I, yeah. It seems like you're you're really, really good with that. I could, I could, I could stand more conversations with you to learn how to do it. <laughs> well,
2: I'm. I'm always here. I'm always here when you need a chat. <laughs>
3: So one thing that I have to say about, like, you know, I, I feel like I, I, I mean, I complain a lot about what parenthood has done to me as an artist, but I actually feel like before that I, w- I would get kind of overly wrapped up in something going on in my own head. And now there's, there's so much day-to-day stuff that just needs to be taken care of that I don't even have the time to think about life being complex anymore. It's just like, I wake up and I do things And I kind of just do things until I go to bed. And I I love a lot of the things I do. And a lot of them are kind of painful admin stuff that I feel guilty about doing badly. But there's so much action. And I kind of remember myself in my 20s when I, in theory, had a lot more freedom. And I would just get mired in my own thoughts because I think life felt more complex.
2: Mm. That's true. That's true. I, I I would not go back to my twenties if someone paid me very, very <laughs> handsomely. <laughs> because I think I think every year that I've gotten every every year, that's the, the one thing about life that I wish I'd known earlier on is that it it gets so much better as you get older. And I think there's this understanding that people think that like, oh, your 20s are the best time of your life, or like high school's the best time of your life and gotta enjoy it while it's here. And actually it's like, no, when you when you turn 30 that's when things start getting fun. And then you get older, it's even more fun. And like you you care less about shit and you get less in your head about stuff and clearer on what it is that you want. I don't know, maybe that's just my experience, but definitely don't want to be 20 again or anywhere near that.
3: I mean, my, my 20s were great and I, I appreciated them and I knew that there would have been parts of that time that I, you know, like like I knew while it was happening that I would miss some parts of it, but as like a baseline happiness level, I'm I in some ways I'm happier now than I've ever been in, you know, my conscious life at least. And I I, I think it's just some chemical thing. I think I'm just chemically happier. And I think in my twenties I was constantly kind of up and down and you know, every, every day felt like it was this emotional roller coaster. And right. now I just I wake up and sometimes I'm exhausted, uh, but I'm also pretty happy, like like on a general. Like, no, yeah, you know, something
2: to, that's something to kind of like think about and, and, and bear in mind, you know, I think I I'm definitely one of the people who just kind of always pushes forward and looks forward to the next thing that never goes back to kind of assess and think and feel about like, how am I feeling now, as opposed to how I felt then. And I think it's really important to reflect and to know that as much as you're struggling right now, you're happier than you've ever been. And that's amazing.
3: I also read somewhere, so this might be good news for us, I don't know, but um, I read the happiness of the U-curve as it hits bottom at 50 for men and 40 for women that, um, and, and then you start kind of going back up. So you basically like it, it claims, right? I wasn't like this. It claims that you're happy at 20 and then you get slowly unhappier, uh, as, as you get closer to 50 and you start going back up. And so by 70, you're actually really happy again. So for men, they call that bottom a midlife crisis. And for women at 40, they, you know, no one notices it because the, the women are too busy taking care of the kids and no one's noticing having <laughs> <laughs> have You don't have class. time for that shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you don't have time to notice you're hitting your U curve bottom or analyze your happiness levels. Uh, but 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 right now, like thinking maybe if I just keep getting happier from theirs and at sixty, I'll just be ecstatic all the time. Yeah, <laughs> no, like, I mean, I, I'm second. already
2: I can't wait.
1: Uh, what's that, Marshall? I'm bottoming out at fifty.
3: Uh that's well, that's what the study said. Uh but and then you can get a motorcycle cycle and maybe a very, very young girlfriend
1: to go on downhill for a while. Okay.
3: But, um. Yeah, but, but then around, <laughs> at around fifty you'll start getting happier again. <laughs> it goes back up. It goes back
2: up. Don't worry. We, we're getting there. We're getting there, don't worry. <laughs>
3: Thank you so much for doing this after like a day of work and time with oh. your kid you know like and putting your kid to bed and and then we're kind of asking the, and now you have to be on and entertaining for two hours not right? at all it's been amazing
0: it's yeah. been
2: such a pleasure i have not smiled this much in a very long time
3: <laughs> uh, okay.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Lorraine. This was awesome. Thank you, guys. I hope I hope um, you got something. I, I don't know. I had like I was very nervous before, thinking like what do I mean? What do I have to say? I haven't done an interview in years, but um, it's been fun.
3: Actually, you've, you've actually been just as cool as I always assumed you would be while stalking my. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you so much.
0: Hey, thank you for listening and coming along with us on this long journey. I hope you got some good takeaways from this interview. I want to let you know that we have an official Art Grind podcast hotline now. So call us and let us know what sort of creative projects you have going on during these crazy times. Let us know what's on your mind and we'll play it on our next episode. The number is 929 267. 4830 Again, it's 929-267-4830. Artgrindpodcast.com. And follow us on Instagram. And if you feel like supporting us financially, you can easily hit that donate button on our website. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review on iTunes. That will really help us. We love all the support we get from our listeners and hope to do our best to bring you more great interviews for you. So be safe out there and stay on the grind.